0: Um, as we continue our series, just called The Lord is My Shepherd, I was reminded um, of, a, of a lady that I knew named Glenda Colum. Most of you probably know, no one here may, may know, or a few of you do, uh, but Glenda um, was one of the greatest um, hostess people I've ever met. Hospitality is not something. That we always excel in in American culture, but we had a tradition. We'd have a um, our board and our staff when we lived in Mississippi. She would host a dinner, a Christmas dinner at her house, and it was um, it was fantastic. You know, she would cook um, chicken and sausage gumbo that simmered for about two days. You know, kind of thing. Got a lot of love in the pot. If you know, you know what I'm talking about. Bay leaves and nice sticky rice and. You know, all kinds of sides and trimmings and bread and uh, four or five different desserts, and she would just deck her house out. I mean, it was, uh, it was an unbelievable—her sense of hospitality and excellence about hospitality uh, was some of the best I've ever seen. But she would host that meal— and her husband always, say, he'd say, she wouldn't let me in the house for two days. You know, I couldn't even come inside because she'd decorate everything and then put a tablecloth over it and hide it, and, you know. And, and then when, when the day came, she'd pull everything off and set the spread. And man, when you went to that meal, it was, um, it was fantastic. I mean, it was absolutely one of the highlights of our year. Um, and here's why. Because when you sat, this is what I want you to focus on. When you sat at her table you knew that she had everything handled. You never had to think about, hey, I wonder if, no, you don't have to wonder nothing. Because mama's got it. You know what I mean? I mean, she got it covered. And trust me, she got everything you thought of covered, and she got a bunch of things you didn't think of covered. And so it was a joy. It was absolutely a treat and a joy to sit at her table. I just want you to get that picture in your mind as we read Psalm 23 today. Um, and we get to verse 5 because there's a special part of the chapter that deals with um, the Lord setting a table for us and I just wanted to give you a picture of that as we get there so let's look at Psalm 23 and would you just one more time those of you who are online and in person you know, maybe, maybe you're watching later or maybe you're sitting at home your neighbors won't hear you you don't have to do it that loud but would you just read this out loud with me I think there's something powerful when we do it together let's start at verse 1 the Lord is my shepherd I shall not want he makes me lie down in green pastures he leads me beside quiet waters he restores my soul he guides me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death I fear no evil for you are with me Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Now, here's verse 5. Here's the table. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You have anointed my head with oil, and my cup overflows. Everything about that verse sounds good except one part. Enemies. (laughs) You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. So, I want to give you um, three truths that we learn from Psalm 23 and um, that sort of captures the context that King David was writing in number one you have enemies now I know it's hard to believe as sweet as you are you know it's really hard to fathom that as nice as you are and as pretty and as handsome as you are and incredible as you are it's really hard to imagine that you have enemies but you do you have enemies and I have enemies. And um, a lot of people think, most of us think, I think, that if we could just treat everyone good enough, or we could be a good enough person, that we'd never have any enemies. Or we might be tempted to think if we could just be good enough Christians, like that's the thing, to do the Christian thing. If we could just be good enough Christians, you know, and take the character of Jesus and the fruit of the Holy Spirit and serve people and love everybody in an unconditional way and all of that that somehow that would protect us and insulate us from ever having any enemies so if that's true on a scale of one to ten how good of a Christian would you say you would need to be to never have any enemies would it be a seven would that get it or about a nine or a ten well, we've actually ran that test. Um, it's, called, it's called Jesus. <laughs> he was like 11. You know what I mean? You can't be a better Christian than Jesus. And Jesus had some ferocious enemies. Like he had people that hated him, hated his guts, conspired against him, and, and even hatched a plan to, to capture him, try him, falsely accuse him, try him guilty even though he was innocent, and they crucified him so I think we gotta back up a little bit and say you know if you can't be a good enough person and you can't be a good enough Christian for to never have any enemies then we're gonna have to accept the fact that in life we're gonna have enemies King David who wrote Psalm 23 knew all about enemies he grew up as a young man as a shepherd fending off you know wolves and wild animals who wanted to come and take the sheep. He had those enemies. And then he encountered lions and bears and Goliath. And then he um, had an enemy and a king named King Saul. And then there were all the ites, the the Philistines, the Ammonites, the Hittites, the Jebusites, the Termites, you know, all the the ites that came after him. And then even one of his own sons tried tried to overthrow him and take the kingdom from him. And then finally, old age became his last enemy. David lived from childhood to death in an environment where he was surrounded by enemies. God never claims you and I are going to have a life without enemies. It's a fact we're going to have them, but that doesn't mean that all enemies are the same. So this week what I did is I I tried to reflect and think, You know, of all the people in life who cause us pain, and all the people in life who make us uncomfortable, how could you categorize whether they're enemies or not and what type of enemies they they are? Because not all enemies um, are the same. So let's talk about that for a minute. Um, I think being able to separate the people who inflict us into different types of people helps us know how to engage them. So some of the people that we consider enemies aren't actually enemies. They're friends who are having a bad day. (laughs) Right? Because sometimes friends will do enemy-like things. They will say enemy-like things and they will act in enemy-like ways, but it actually has nothing to do with me or you. They're just having a bad day so we can't consider them really enemies and then there are some people who aren't really friends and they're not really enemies they're just selfish did you know they're selfish people and they're not intending to hurt you they're just intending to help themselves, and you're in the way they don't really care about you and then there's another category of people that we really don't know if they're friends or enemies, because sometimes their actions mislead us. Let me tell you a quick little story to um, help us see that. So there's a story of a turtle sitting on a fence post. Now if you're distracted by how did he get on the fence post, you're going to miss the story. It's a turtle, he's, he's there. Okay, he's there. I don't know. He's there. He's on the fence post. And a cow. In the pasture, backs up. Yeah, I don't know how to say this. He he plops on him. You know what I'm saying? As a cow will do in the pasture. It's the best way I know how to say it. Can we cut that part out? And 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 then a bobcat comes along and cleans it off and eats the turtle. You're thinking, what are we talking about? Here's the moral of the story. Not everyone who plops on you is your enemy. <laughs> and not everyone who cleans it off is your friend. So what I'm saying is, is there's some people who are in an unknown category, and if all you watch is their actions, you might not know. So we can't necessarily call them all enemies either. And then there's some friends that are hurting you. They're not enemies, they're friends. They're hurting you because you're wrong. What do I mean by that? There are friends who will gently walk beside you and give you advice that you don't want to hear, and the reason that it hurts you is not because they're wrong or they're bringing it in the wrong spirit, Or they're saying it the wrong way, it's because you don't wanna hear it. And it hurts. And if you label them as enemies, you're gonna miss quite a bit of what God actually wants to tell you. So you can't register all pain, everything that makes me uncomfortable, and everything that hurts me as, as coming from an enemy. And then there are people who don't intend to harm you, but they're just so broken that they're going to keep hurting you over and over and over and over, not because they intend to, not because it's even their motivation to. They're just so broken they're going to hurt you because that's what hurt people do, hurt people hurt people. And you're going to have to keep them kind of at an arm's length and love them and pray for them that God will heal them, but keep them at enough of a distance that they don't take you down with them on their way to healing. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? So they're not enemies either. And then there are a few, a few people who are true enemies. And they intend and rejoice in your harm. And given the right opportunity, they will actually participate in it and help sort of nurture your, your demise along. And then there is, you know, the enemy that scripture calls the devil or satan and he's an enemy of god and he's the enemy of all who love god and he's an enemy of all who god loves and and i'm I, i fear that in our day of technology and media and entertainment and storytelling and um and and exploding knowledge and education we're we're tempted to write Satan off as um, kind of a boogeyman that some bitter old people made up to control young people, you know, but nothing could be further from the truth. You have an enemy and I have an enemy and what makes us his enemy is not what you've done to him. It's the fact that God loves you and so that makes you his enemy. And so I want to assure you we're not too sophisticated today because I want to share with you what the Bible says about this enemy. The Bible describes Satan this way. He's a liar and a murderer. He's a tempter. He will try to make the wrong things as attractive to you as he can. He's a thief. He will try to steal every good thing God's trying to bring in your life. And he does it in such a tricky way, you don't always see it coming. He's a hinderer. Everything that God wants to try to do in your life, he will put as many roadblocks and obstacles and confusing thoughts as he can to keep that out of your life and keep the work of God from moving. He is a deceiver. He is a slanderer. He will lie to God about you and he will lie to you about God. And he will lie to other people about you and vice versa. He is a slanderer. In Luke chapter 13, we actually see he even at times inflicts people with sickness. I'm not saying that all sickness is a direct result of something that the devil did, but some of it is. Because we see it in Scripture. He also blinds the eyes of unbelievers, of people who don't follow Jesus. The Bible says the God of this age has blinded the eyes of many. So they can't see that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. They can't see that Jesus is God's gift of love from the Father. And then also, in some cases, he actually even possesses people. Well, this, is, this is a bad dude. This isn't a fairy tale. This isn't something somebody made up to control people. The one who wants to control is him. And he'll lead you to believe anything he needs you, he can get you to believe to to get your eyes away from what he can do. Do you think it's a coincidence that this egomaniac king, when Jesus was born, went into Bethlehem and slaughtered every male baby at the first Christmas season, trying to kill Jesus? Or do you think Satan was the driver behind that? No, Satan was the driver because he came to kill and steal and destroy. Satan's work uh, during the time of the early church caused great suffering and great persecution. Wherever, wherever you read the book of Acts, wherever the church went in the world, as it began to spread out from Jerusalem, it faced great persecution. And you might be tended, uh, tempted to think, oh yeah, but that was a long time ago. We don't deal with things like that anymore. Well, let me give you the latest, Okay. From the time of Christ till the year 1900, we had 14 million Christian martyrs on earth in 1900 years. We had 14 million Christian martyrs. In the 20th century alone, we had 26 million Christian martyrs in 100 years. In 100 years of church history, we had more Christian martyrs for the faith than we had in the previous 1,900 years combined. Things have not gotten better, they have gotten worse. Just because they haven't gotten worse where we live doesn't mean that that's the experience of Christians all over the world. So yes, Satan is alive and well and still working and still filled with hate and an intention to destroy everything God wants to do. Second Corinthians chapter 2 tells us in order that satan might not outwit us for we are not unaware of his scheme so in this passage paul is talking to the corinthian church and he's trying to encourage them listen listen the way that he beats us is because we don't know what he's up to and we've got to stay aware of how he works so that he don't work in us hey and by the way let me give you the best part okay Do you know the context of 2 Corinthians 11? It's incredibly powerful. It's forgiveness. Paul says, I have forgiven these people, and I will forgive, because I don't want the devil to outwit me. I don't want the devil to win. I can't think of a more relevant message for us today in the church in a divided America than to say I will not walk around and live in offense I will not walk around angry and bitter and unforgiving and and alienating and canceling I'm not going to do it I'm going to walk in forgiveness because I don't want the devil to win and he wins when I walk in bitterness. No, go ahead. I mean, that's, that's, good, that's good truth, right? Come on. That's good truth. That's good truth. Yay for the truth. All right. So it's a hard truth, but the background of Psalm 23:5 is an assumption that we got enemies. Number two, you also have an unlimited father. All right. Here's, it's going to get good now, okay? Stay with me. It's going to get good. Let's look back at verse 5 again and and look at it. You prepare a table before me, look at this, in the presence of my enemies. I love that because it doesn't say you prepare a table before me in times of peace only. When things are going well, when I'm having a good day, when God's having a good day, when things are going the way that I want them to go. How many of you ever poached an egg? Anybody ever poach an egg? I started poaching eggs a couple years ago. I don't know why, because I wanted to. It just hit me. And I didn't realize this, but to poach an egg, like the water's got to be at 190 degrees. If you go up too high, you're going to boil it. And if you go too low, it's just not going to cook right. you got to have the exact, you know, right conditions for all that to work out. A few years ago, we were on a missions trip in El Salvador, and on our uh, off day, we went to a coffee plantation, um, and, and we saw this beautiful coffee plantation that had been owned by about four generations in the same family. And I, I'm not a coffee drinker, so I don't know anything about coffee, and as we walked through the plant and saw how everything worked, it became a miracle to me that we ever found coffee. Because you like you have to grow the beans, you know, at a certain altitude. It can't be below this, and it can't be above that. And then you process the beans, and how you'd ever figure out to take the husk off, because it comes like a little plum fruit thing. You got to take all that off. You don't want any of that. It'll dry out. Then you run it through the conveyor belt, and you float it in water for a while, and then you pour it out on the street and let it dry on the street for about three days. And if it rains, you know, or the humidity's wrong, you just start all over. And I thought, I'll drink tea. I mean, I. I've never gone through this. This is miserable. All the conditions that you got to have to make a good coffee bean. It it blew my mind. You can't drive a boat if the river's frozen. You can't fly a plane into a hurricane. We never launch a rocket into space unless we have perfect conditions. You don't take a street bike into the woods. There's a limit to how long you and I can hold our breath and stay underwater. I guarantee you, you have products in your house whose warranties have serious limitations. No one lives in the desert or, or in the Arctic without significant shelter. You just shut everybody's electricity off for about three weeks and everybody lose their mind. We're so fragile. We need food and water and shelter and sleep and air. And there's so many conditions that need to be met in order for us to function right. But let me tell you what, God's not subject to those limitations. He can make a table in the presence of your enemies. He doesn't need things to be going well. He doesn't need good circumstances, he doesn't need good conditions, he doesn't need fair weather, cold doesn't stop him, heat doesn't slow him down, he doesn't know what a rain delay is, he's never called in sick, he's never sent you to voicemail. You don't have to press pound and put in your social security number to get him. You don't have to remember your password. You don't have to create a user account. You don't need a security code. You don't need the last four digits of your social. He's waterproof, all-terrain, all-season, always ready, never on break. He won't bend, he won't break, and he won't crack under pressure. Unlimited. Isaiah 55 says it like this. His ways are higher than my ways, and his thoughts are higher than my thoughts. Colossians 1 says, he's before all things and in him all things hold together. Job 36 says, God's power is unlimited. He needs no teachers to guide or correct him. You have an unlimited father that doesn't need the right conditions to do what he wants to do. He can do it anytime he wants to do it. He's so not like us. Trying to understand God is like trying to fit an ocean in a glass of water. You and I can't do it. We can't wrap our mind around him. We can't get our heart around him, because he's unlimited. He doesn't need the absence of enemies. He, he is ready at all times. He works at all times, in all conditions and all seasons, because he's unlimited. Now here's the last thing: not only do you have a heavenly Father who's unlimited, you have an unlimited invitation. Look one more time. It's Psalm 23, 5. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You've anointed my head with oil and my cup overflows. What does this my cup overflows mean? Does that mean that I have, he will supply for me more than I need? Yes. But that's not the, that's not the picture Because you and I don't know Hebrew culture and we don't know shepherd culture, we miss the powerful implications that David would have been well aware of when he wrote Psalm 23, 5. Here's the picture. At that time period in shepherding culture, when you were a shepherd, you carried the obligation to welcome any stranger who went by who was wandering through the pasture or the field or whatever to come into your tent and feed them dinner. And so if you were wondering and it was getting late and it was getting dark and you didn't know how you're gonna eat, and it's you know not safe out there, if you found a tent, all you had to do is make it to the tent. And it was by, by custom, it was the shepherd's responsibility to welcome you into the tent, to welcome you to his table and to make sure you had a meal and watch this and as long as you were at his table it was his responsibility for your safety to protect you if anything happened to you while you were at his table it was his fault well there's a a good picture there isn't it? so what would happen during dinner is the host, the shepherd would pour drink into your cup and you would drink and then when it got empty he'd pour it in there again Well, if the shepherd stopped refilling your cup, it was a customary sign that basically said, I'm glad you came, but after dinner, it's time to go. (laughs) When you were at the meal, if he filled your cup up and kept it full to the brim and kept doing it as many times as you drank, what he was saying is, after dinner, stay for a little while. But if the shepherd poured the drink into your cup, and poured it, and poured it, and poured it until it flowed over. What he was saying was, I want you to stay the night, and you're welcome to stay as long as you want to. (laughs) Don't you see? God, in every way he can, is saying to you and I, I want you to stay. Your cup runs over. Do you get it? your cup runs over God in his unlimited nature has poured into your cup an unlimited resource because he's trying to send you the clearest message he can your cup runs over I want you to stay when I was in college uh, I heard the Lord invite me to the table And I'd heard this statistic that the average pastor prays 10 minutes a day. And I thought, boy, that doesn't seem good. (laughs) So as I heard the Holy Spirit invite me to prayer, I made a habit after class every day. I'd go over to the chapel and I'd pray. And I would just stay. Sometimes I'd pray 20 minutes. Sometimes I'd pray 15. Sometimes I'd pray an hour. I would just stay and pray until I thought prayer was over whatever that was before I went to work or anything else and I've, I've tried to I've tried to build my life on prayer here's what I know here's what I've learned okay your cup runs over and everything you need is at the table he is supplied wonderfully Everything you need at the table, and he has given you an unlimited invitation. What does that mean? It means it doesn't matter how bad your week was. It doesn't matter what you're going through. It doesn't even matter what you did wrong. He invites you to the table. It doesn't matter if you're hurt. It doesn't matter if life's not going on. It doesn't matter if you don't feel real spiritual right now. Thank God he doesn't meet me just when I feel spiritual, because sometimes I don't feel real spiritual. Unlimited. So today, what I want to do is I want to ask you to stand with me. And we want to we want to have a time of prayer. And then we're going to sing this song. And what I think is going to happen as we sing this song is God is going to begin to move in your heart, and He's going to move in your life. And, and look, the best thing that I can do for you, the best thing that I can do for you is try to help you meet God. And to try to convince you that the table's open all the time. And he invites you all the time, every day. And for you to meet him yourself. That's the, that's the best thing I can give you. His presence is available all the time. So this morning, I, I, want us, I want us to pray in just a minute. But what I want you to know is, victory's at the table. Resource's at the table. provision is at the table. What you need is at the table. And when we begin to sing, man, I want you to hear the invitation of God to come and meet Him, to meet Him today, to meet Him today, to know Him, to walk out of here different than you walked in, to walk out refreshed, to walk out having met God. I don't know what church is for if you don't meet God while you're at church, right? It's not just a meeting. We gotta meet, we gotta have a meeting with somebody divine. So this morning, in just a minute, we're going we're gonna to pray and sing this song. If you're, if you're online, our prayer team's there, and they'd love to pray with you. In, in the house, would you just close your eyes for a minute? Man, I just want to pray today. And then, man, we're going to stand and we're going to sing this song, raise a hallelujah. Amen. We're going to celebrate. Our victory is at the table. Lord, I thank you today for your goodness and grace. I thank you for the victory of God. I thank you that you've made us more than overcomers in Christ our Lord. I thank you that there's enough at the table for every one of us, whether whether we're watching online or replay, whatever, in the room, you are here, you are in this moment, you are ready to meet with us, and so we open our eyes and we open our heart and we open our hands and we say, Lord, we come to the table today because our cup runs over. You have invited us to stay at the table. So, Lord, today we've come to meet you. In Jesus' name we pray. Come on, everybody. Let's sing this morning and let's